what's the exciting part is to start and think about it as an opportunity to reinvent and create a new avenue of revenue like virtual, which opens up a much bigger audience. It opens up a better way of potentially reaching even more people doing more events without the travel. So I'm excited. I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. times of rapid change and uncertainty, you can be sure of one thing. Your ability to adapt will be tested. Learn how live event hosts and business owners are moving swiftly and decisively to support their clients, preserve their team, and protect their bottom line in today's episode of I Love Marketing. In this episode, Roland Frazier, Dean Jackson, and Joe Polish discuss the postponement of the Traffic and Conversion Summit, an industry-leading event that expected 10,000-plus attendees at the end of March. They'll dive into the mindset behind adaptability in chaotic times and share insights onto how they're already making shifts within their own businesses to prepare for what's to come. You'll learn how to think strategically and rationally about your business in times of turnaround so you can maximize your efficiency and strengthen your business from the inside out. Hey everybody, it's Dean Jackson and Joe Polish, and we are here with our good friend, Roland Frazier, who is a real smart guy that, Dean, go ahead and give a quick bio of who Roland is and let's just, for our listeners, and of course, we're all going to share this in our different networks so that it helps our our clients and members. Well, aside from being a handsome and dapper dresser, Roland is, you know, an investor, and I got to know Roland as part of the living out in, in Rancho Santa Fe crew. That's where I first got introduced to him when the epicenter of marketing was in Rancho Santa Fe, California. But Roland is one of the principals in Digital Marketer with, with Ryan Dice and the Traffic and Conversion Summit and the War Room Mastermind Group and so many things that I don't even understand what uh, Roland does. But I know you would probably refer to him as a modern day impresario, I guess would be a good one. I've always wondered what an impresario does, but the placeholder image for impresario in my mind is Roland Fraser. <laughs> How's that fit, Roland? I'll take it. Take I think that works. Okay. I'm just going to pretend that I even understand what that word means, but uh, suffice <laughs> it to say, we're, we had a conversation earlier. I want to give the date here. It's approximately 1.38 p.m. Pacific time, Sunday, March 15th. And the reason I wanted to date it is because obviously we're on a minute-by-minute basis, the world is changing pretty drastically depending on mm. where you're at in the world and who you're talking to. And from my vantage point, I was up till 3.30 a.m. last night talking to some friends that are really scared 
shitless and some mm. are doing well, you know, mentally and others are struggling financially. Uh, some are shutting down their businesses. I know people that have already lost millions of dollars that have mm. big companies. And then, you know, I have incredible empathy for all of the, you know, people that are living paycheck to paycheck that can't go to work that have, uh, you know, children. And, and there's a lot of human struggle out there. And, and we were talking earlier, me and Roland, and then of course, Dean, me and you and Jay Abraham did an, an I Love Marketing podcast that lots of people have listened to and found incredibly helpful. And so I was talking to Roland earlier about what sort of leadership can we bring to our members, to our clients, to people that follow us and put some good, you know, direction out into the world to help people with uh, how they think about their thinking, as our friend Dan Sullivan says, you know. Dan has this great quote where it's, you know, the the problem is not the problem, the problem is how you think about the problem. And I think there's different ways to think about this. And uh, you both are incredibly sharp, or Roland especially. I mean, I, you know, I'll stay with yeah, my, I would agree my with realm of, of, like, doing lower status on Dean as we kind of go throughout this. I can't wait to, to hear it. what he has to say. Yeah. Yeah. Just add little bit of humor to all of this. But uh, yeah, guys, so I mean, Dean, you had mentioned a term when we decided literally less than an hour ago that we would record this for everybody, adaptability. And so right yeah. now, you know, how does one adapt to the the current uh, climate? And, and, and I'd like to hear both of your perspectives on now that, you know, this has been going for a few weeks and things have really changed over the last couple of days. Well, let's paint a picture, just a hypothetical situation. Let's say you're a guy that has a company that runs, I don't know, say one of the biggest, you know, industry transforming events in the industry, in the world. And it's about to happen, you know, let's say the first week of April. And there are people coming from all over the world, thousands of people supposed to show up for, you know, this industry transforming event. And then the president says, guess what? We're going to shut down the borders and nobody from Europe is allowed to come in here. What would a guy in a situation like that have to what would go through a guy's mind if that was a, a situation, Roland? There's no way to know. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to know. So uh, obviously you're talking about we have a, an event called the Graphic Conversion Summit where it had about 10,000 yeah. people that, that we were expecting this year. Um, and this event was supposed to happen beginning March 31st. So obviously throughout the entire year before that, you're getting ready for that. You have, you know, you book the space three years in advance because you can't get there. There aren't, there just aren't that many spaces that big. There's a lot of competition for them. So you have to plan very far out. Then you have, you know, uh, several hundred sponsors that you sell. You have thousands uh, of tickets that you sell, you coordinate hundreds of speakers and you get, you know, dozens of celebrities and there's tremendous amount of, of effort, of cash outlay, of people. We have a, a, over 200 people that work the event. So you're organizing a, a temporary workforce as well. And, and there's a, a ton of parties and everything else. So all of that is something that goes into your decision what to do when something like the coronavirus starts to take hold. And so for us, we felt that with our partners, uh, our majority owner is a company called Clarion, which is a Blackstone company. And then Ryan and, and I and, uh, and a couple of our partners own interests in it as well. And so we're having conversations as all this stuff starts and saying, what is the best way to, for us to service all of our customers? And what is the best way for us to lead in a time of crisis. It starts with what's fake news, what's real, 
and attempting to discern through the noise what you know what is the signal and what is the noise then as things evolve it's preparing a contingency plan so that we have no intention of postponing but if events happen in a way that cause us to to decide that that's the best decision for all of our customers then we'll do it so there were it was really interesting I was receiving, and I know Ryan and, and the other guys were too, about 50% of the messages that I was receiving from people up until the president announced that there was a, an embargo on travel from, from Europe was about 50% of the people were saying, you are irresponsible if you don't announce canceling this event. You're exposing people to this deadly virus and you've got to shut this thing down. And then the other 50% were, please don't give in to media hysteria and all of this, the common, you know, the common flu kills more people at a, right, you know, at, at, yeah. at, right. So, so you have, you have all that going on. So for us, we felt because there are so many people and so many businesses, so many people that had spent money on travel that they would, that would not get back on hotel deposits and on their tickets, obviously the people who are exhibitors spend tens of thousands of dollars on booths, on the actual stuff, not to us, just on the booths themselves. Several of them count on these big events like ours to be a significant part of their marketing budget for the year, you know, of their, of their mm-hmm. revenue for the year. And so we're looking at our responsibility to those people and saying it's important to really be sure before you take an action like that. And so we held fast until the the president announced that he was not going to allow people to travel from Europe because we have a significant percentage of our people who come to the show from Europe. So all of those people would be unable to attend. Yeah. And then that reduces the customer experience. And at that point, then also with the California governor asking for events like ours to, you know, to postpone, and then that triggering lots of people saying, you know, hey, we, we just don't feel comfortable coming. And then sponsors say, we don't feel comfortable coming either. You get to the point where you say, okay, the responsible thing to do, both from a a health and safety perspective and from a be fair to all of the business people perspective is to actually postpone the event. So we waited until that, that was the kind of tipping point for us. And then immediately after that, Disney announced they were going to close, LA Public Schools closed, the NBA canceled their season. So we felt like we, we made the right decision. And what you're thinking about then is how do you take care of all those people? And so then a massive effort to reschedule this huge event and all of these resources and all of these people starts. And that's something we've, we've secured a location and dates for the postponed event, which I can't announce just yet because we won't have that signed off officially until Monday. But we've received tremendous help from the convention center in rescheduling with no penalties from our AV companies and hotels that have rescheduled with no penalties, our rollover of sponsors and attendees, our celebrities that we had already paid to appear at the event were amenable to amending the dates to reschedule with no rebooking fees. It's been a wonderful observation of people coming together in a time of crisis to take action, to do the things that you need to do to protect people, and also to be participative and kind in moving forward, even though we know that all of the people that suffer from the delay, not just us, but the convention center, the city of San Diego, that's a tremendous amount of of revenue for the city that comes in, 
you know, the, the, our, our parent company, Clarion, and, and all of the people, it's a big deal for them to have this thing delayed. And we really appreciate how everybody has, has come together. We have not experienced in our event, at least, the people stripping the stores and panicking and hoarding and thinking mm-hmm. only about the Right, right. And, you know, th- this part of the thing is to realize, to really step back. Like we were talking about being adaptable. And to really kind of step back and realize that what is the margin of this, right? Like what is going to be the timeline of it? How long is it actually going to be in play? Mm-hmm. I'm curious when, you, you, when you're looking to reschedule something like that, that's still evolving. If we look at the acute onset nature of this, that it's not something that's going to be resolved in the next couple of weeks, probably. Mm-hmm. But there's a, probably a good chance that it's going to be resolved in 90 days, maybe. I don't know. Agree. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that's, I think, really taking this kind of approach to rational thinking in a, what seems like completely irrational world right now. Everybody's thinking this is like the new normal, but the reality is there'd be a blip in the in the year when you look at the the big picture of it, right? With Yeah, with and, and for, for us, it was one of the rescheduled dates that was offered, because keep in mind, there's not a lot of space for these yeah. events, and, and they're booked out years in advance, so when you start looking at moving it, you're competing yeah. with all of the people who are moving, plus all of the yeah. people who already had scheduled. So we yeah. had an opportunity to rebook for July 5th, 6th, and 7th, and we were just too concerned. I don't. Too soon. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can move it twice. I mean, I think if it, uh-huh. if if it gets moved again, it gets canceled, right? And that's yeah, that's yeah. a that's another you know big deal. So we had to make that decision too because we want to have it as soon as we possibly can, but we also know that we've got to be through the challenge. Which I agree with you. You know, I think that that ninety day period is probably accurate. It's just that we mm. don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say something to what you guys are saying also, too, because I want to, I mean, I I almost err on the side of being super cautious on stuff because as things are changing, we don't really know. Like, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. we're, none of us are doctors. We're entrepreneurs. We're business owners. I think, I think entrepreneurial solutions are what's going to help, you know, the economy, what's going to help any sort of crisis. And when I say entrepreneurial solutions is to give some, you know, context to that, you know, the original definition of an entrepreneur, which I've said many times, I mean, Dan Sullivan was the first one that like, that, taught me where even the the word entrepreneur came from. It was from a French guy named John Baptiste Say in 1804 was the first recorded use of the term entrepreneur. And it was uh, an individual that takes resources from a lower yield to a higher yield, to a lower level of productivity, to a higher level of productivity. And so from that standpoint, you know, doing anything that could make something more valuable, the way people think, the way maybe people function, the way they operate, products and services, et cetera, is entrepreneurship. And so from that definition, you know, finding solutions is critical. And we don't know. And there's, you know, I talk to, you know, as you guys know, I have a lot of doctors in Genius Network, a lot of people in healthcare. I get to hear some pretty amazing individuals that are pretty tapped in. And I'm, you know, I'm literally on the phone with different doctors and medical professionals and every, you know, every sort of modality from naturopaths to, you know, surgeons to, you know, people that are in Africa, I mean, uh, you know, Germany, different parts of the world. 
hearing every opinion from, no, this is media hype, to this is biological warfare. I mean, it, all across the board. And there's this quote from an article that a a friend sent over to me today, and it's from a guy named Michael Leavitt. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but the, I don't even know who this person is. But the quote is, everything we do before a pandemic will seem alarmist. Everything we do after will seem inadequate. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an interesting, you know, I thought about that a lot going, yeah, you know, I mean, depending on what where you're at. I mean, we have a friend who I'm not going to mention their name, but very big, uh, one of the top seminar leaders in the world. Uh, this person's whole entire business is predicated on very large events. Now, his opinion is this is, you know, the media is going to destroy the economy. And I'm hearing, you know, uh, different opinions on the reason why that is. But he believes, you know, this is ridiculous and I can't believe this is happening. But at the same time, this individual has a vested interest in not having uh, events shut down. I mean, we're all in the business where we are all going to get hit. We have to make decisions for our team that needs to stay employed to the best that we can. And there's other companies that are, they're literally operating paycheck to paycheck and they don't want to let go of their employees. But what choice are they going to have if, if the money stops? And so I'd like to kind of dig into that with you guys a little bit. It almost feels like your lens, how how you're looking at what your situation is going to shape the way that you perceive it and the way you want it to be. And it almost feels like that if your livelihood and your revenue depends on people being able to come to live events and travel freely and do all of that stuff that you're going to want to believe that everything's going to be okay. And it's almost like when it starts uh, lining up against that, you almost go through the graves curve of, of grieving where you're sort of in denial and defiance. And then, you know, when you get down to acceptance and moving on that you can quickly then be adaptable and think about where to go. Like that's the, the reality and often thinking quickly can save a lot. Like I remember, I literally, I think I told you, Joe, that probably 13 minutes after the presidential address that shut down Europe, I knew right away that that was going to, if I have five events coming up between now and July 4th, and that is like a staple of my annual schedule, you know? So, I, of course, I want to believe that everything's going to be fine. It's all going to blow over. But that if it's not looking reality-wise, and it could be a problem unless I get adaptable. And I start to think, okay, is it the – it's not so much that the live event is the thing. It's the outcome that people are getting from coming to the live event, which is they're having an intimate boardroom experience where we're 100% focused for three days on their business and they're getting clarity and outcome and, and a blueprint for moving forward. So can we create that in another way that doesn't depend on being in a boardroom? And I determined and thought, you know what, I'm going to create a virtual experience of this where we can come into a virtual border where you stay right where you are and you know the zoom technology and and virtual presencing stuff is really good right now fortunately 
and I, I thought it through and can create a great experience that would rival being in a live event and within 13 minutes had posted up on Facebook and announced my virtual mastermind and then sent out an email to the list. And so we already now are starting with a, a running start, the rebuilding of a new direction for this out of being quick to realize what's happened and decisive in in taking action. When I was talking to Roland earlier today, which actually prompted this, he was saying, well, how, how are you handling this? I go, because I, I talked about the episode that we had done with uh, Jay Abraham just a few days ago yeah. that we put up, which we've gotten incredible feedback from. That's been really helpful to a lot of people. And we talked about ethical opportunism, you know, where there are opportunities and there's people that are going to exploit the heck out of people and still a lot of fear, do money grabs, promote shit that doesn't even work at all. But, you know, just trying to, you know, do whatever they can. And part of my mindset as well, you know, I want to be of, of greatest service as I can to people right, right now. And at the same time, not oblivious to the fact that I have a, a large overhead. I've got 14 full-time employees. There's a lot of stuff that we do. Everyone, Everyone's going to get impacted uh, from this. Some companies will do very well. You know, if you're in the toilet paper business right now, you know, you got supply and demand on your side. I never in a million years thought the analogy that I've used for over 25 years where I would say, well, I don't even know if you ever heard me say this. I've said it hundreds of times over the years. Even when I was teaching seminars back in 1995, I used to talk about like marketing and I said, you know, if you've got supply and demand on your side, I said, you don't need to be a great marketer. I said, if you had a garage full of toilet paper, and for whatever reason, the world supply of toilet paper ran out, and you happen to have a garage full of toilet paper, you don't need a, a USP, you don't need a great sales letter, all you need is a, a cardboard sign that says, I got toilet paper, put it in your front yard, $50 a roll, and you will sell it. And I, I said that exact thing hundreds of times. I'm actually, and, 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 and it's funny, a kid posted on uh, Instagram, you know, he's like, this Joe Polish analogy of toilet paper, it's actually coming true. And it's like, hey, yeah. and, and, and so now we have a situation where, you know, some people are going to do well, but the most of the people that I know, you know, and you're in the restaurant business, the you're in the third and fourth quarters are going to suck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. the third and fourth quarters for, uh, you know, for you toilet paper companies. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buy toilet paper companies now and short them for the six month numbers, you know, because <laughs> nobody's going to need to buy any toilet paper for the rest of the year. You're not going to poop more. You're not pooping more. As I understand, it initially came about because they said um, all of our toilet paper comes from China so that all of the uh, shipments are going to stop and will run out. And so people are freaking out about that because it, uh, it's like it's not the diarrhea virus, right? It's the right, right. <laughs> so, Dean, what you said is absolutely right. You took decisive, fast action 13 minutes after you heard that. And I think that's what people need to do is that it doesn't matter – what your perspective is. So the guy, Joe, that you mentioned, who's, you know, who's got all the events and he's like, you know, well, I think this is going to, it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what we think is not what the market might think. Right. And just in mark, just as in marketing, it's not what you think that matters. It's what the data tells you. Well, the data tells us that there's a lot of people that are panicking right now. And so that we're all going to be affected by this. And regardless of how, whether we think it's real or fake or somewhere in between, there's definitely immediate decisive action that needs to be taken. And I think that smart business owners are going to say, okay, this needs to happen in three places and in this order. It needs to happen first with cash flow on the finance side. 
then it has to happen with how we're focused on the ops side, and then it has to happen with how are we going to approach marketing going forward. And so I think if you look at those three things and say, okay, regardless of what happens, I know that this is basically putting my business in a state like it's a turnaround, and I've done tons and tons of turnarounds. So what happens when you're in a turnaround situation? Well, the first thing that you do is you got to manage your cash flow. You have to get that. Normally in a turnaround, you do a 14-day daily cash flow analysis, and then you have a four-week weekly analysis that goes into ultimately 90 days, which is kind of cool because we all think this is probably going to be about 90 days. Now, we could be wrong, and then we just run our cash flow thing longer, but this is a tremendous opportunity, as all crises are, for us to look at how are we running our businesses? Are we running our businesses efficiently? And we can come out of this with better businesses, and we can come out of it intact if we take immediate action. So I think the first thing people need to think about doing is, what can I do to slow and reduce my outflows of cash? For example, we've got taxes coming up. Now, I'm not telling anybody not to pay their taxes, but I can tell you that if you don't have much money and you're doing your cash flow analysis, you may want to, and the government has already said that they're planning on extending the filing deadlines. You've got a corporate deadline of the 15th of March, which I think is extended to Monday currently, and then you've got the the federal one coming up. If you're going to make a big tax payment, you may want to think about not doing that right now. You may want to think about, I might actually need that money to get me through this tight time. You may go to your landlord and negotiate a rent reduction. You might talk to your utilities and say, how can I save money on that? You, you know, all of your, we go through once a quarter and look at all of our monthly software and subscriptions and all that kind of stuff and find that we've got thousands of dollars a month that are going out that we're not really using now. So going through that, stretching out your payables and talking to your creditors and saying, hey, uh, you know, can I get extended terms? Or uh, if I pay now, can I get a discount? Those, those things are going to be critical to the people who don't have access to credit, which then leads me to talking about credit. You know, I would talk to money brokers and folks who can help you get loans. I know that there are programs that the federal government has made some disaster relief loans available to businesses for up to $2 million that are expedited through the SBA. So you've got SBA armed with that. You've got promotions for loans and disaster business funding assistance from New York, San Jose, Seattle, and other cities that are taking this seriously and saying, we realize that businesses are going to be impacted. Well, that money's going to go quick. So I think, again, immediate, decisive, speedy action to apply for that so that you've got this cushion is going to be really important. And then anybody that's thinking about cash should also be thinking, how do I get paid what I'm owed faster? So if you've got accounts receivable, you know, maybe you can give people a discount. And then reaching out to all of your best customers and saying, how can I help you doing this. And when I say reaching out, I'm not, you know, if, if you've got the top 20% of customers that are 80% of your income, if the 80-20 holds true for you or something like that, as it, as it generally does for everyone, reach out to those people in person and say, you know, what can I do to help? How can I serve you? And you might find that there is additional business that's available. And then looking at, at that, that's just finance, right? That first place 
is going to be critical because the people who are going to survive, not thrive, thrive comes from operations and marketing, but the people who are going to survive are the people that have got cash to get them through this. And I'd like to hear your opinion on the finance stuff. And then if you guys are cool with it, I'd like for us to talk about ops and marketing as well after that. You know, I mean, that was about as, as, as useful and valuable as I could imagine everything you just went through, um, Roland, which, of course, is the reason I wanted to actually uh, do a conversation with you about this, because I know you would always say some really smart shit, because you always do. You're, you're just a really, you know, really experienced, savvy business guy. You know how to look at investments, protecting investments, expanding investments, and we're now in you know, uncharted territories for most people that have never dealt with anything like this in a very unpredictable time. And this is throwing everybody out of their comfort zone. And, you know, let me just say this when you ask different things. So I did an impact filter, which is a strategic coach tool for my team on March 13th. And I gathered everyone together, uh, all the people that work for me in the office headquarters, the building that I have in, uh, that I own in in Arizona, and then people throughout the, the country in different parts of the world that are on my team. And I called the project Team Prep for Possible World Crisis. And I wrote, purpose, what do I want to accomplish? To encourage, direct, and lead my team to stay calm and carry on. And I said, I never thought I'd use that term. And make the best decisions possible for ourselves, uh, the company, and our clients. Uh, What's the importance of this? I wrote, if we're not smart, we will start reacting, not responding. We'll lose our ability to keep ourselves fit. And then, you know, we had a a two-and-a-half-hour discussion based on what I'm I'm going over right now with this. So I'm just going to give the overview. So I said, keep our ourselves fit, meaning mentally and physically. So it's to keep our clients, find alternative models of services and stay profitable so that, you know, we we have a business. Uh, Ideal outcome, we bond deeply with our clients, with each other. We lay down the tracks for a better business and everyone not only grows but surpasses where we're at. We survive and hopefully thrive. And the worst result, if we don't take action, I wrote, we become fearful, reactive. We waste time, money, energy. We get stressed, which leads to sickness and things become utter chaos. If you do take action, uh, we keep our jobs. We stay a profitable business. We establish marketplace dominance. Uh, we create a value creation monopoly, which is a term from Dan Sullivan. It's not about you know someone giving you businesses because you're the only place they can get business from or, or services. It's because you're just valuable to them and they grant you the business uh, left to their you know on their own, not because you force them into it. And we have uh, each other's backs. I kept reiterating, we need to have each other's backs here on the team. And then the success criteria, what has to be true. And I wrote, we cut off anything that is not essential, useful, and needed that costs or wastes money, which is, you know, going to what you just said, Roland. We get clear on our direction and focus. And while I was doing this meeting, I said, guys, I'm not sure yet what the focus is. Here's some ideas I had, and we talked it through. And then after I was done with two and a half uh, hours, my team continued to to go through all the the rolling out the ideas and vision that I laid out. The -hmm. next one was we determine whose role is doing what, and we crystallize it. Uh, we work and don't waste time in non-productive, uh, no-outcome meetings. I also said we launched Joe's Free Book dot uh, com, which uh, to generate leads, build value, and bond with future members. And what I said is on this, we're not going to. If someone just wants the book, we'll let them download it for free. And if they want it physically shipped to them, we'll charge them free shipping and handling. And we're not going to try to opt them into an upsell or anything like that. We literally just give them the book Life Gives to the Giver, so it'll be helpful to a- anyone. And then if they so choose they want to ever buy something from us or they're in the position right now where they can, great, but it's not going to be some 
some trickery of like promising something and then, you know, they're only going to get value if they give us money. So it's like, let's truly just give them stuff. And then uh, I'll read this three more. We ask our clients what they want and need and do our best to direct them to it. Uh, we reinvent repurposing with all the assets we have because I said content is valuable, but context right now is more important than content. And I don't know if you guys agree with that, but we can talk about that if you want. And then we have each other's backs and we really step up, step up and help each other respond to life. And then I went into, I said, look, if any of you are in a, a, a mental, financial, uh, scary uh, situation with your children, with your families, you're freaking out like Let's talk about it so it, you feel as safe as we can uh, feel safe in scary times. And and I can't cannot tell you how how much that benefited my team and how it just really really helped bring us together. So that's how I responded to it with my team and said, you know, we're going to have people that you're going to see uh, that are going to be rational, and there's other people that are going to be irrational, and we, let's just do the very best that we can. So those are that's that's kind of how I'm working right now with working with my team to to try to think about servicing and helping our members. Have you done anything from an operational standpoint, uh, planning wise? Like, have you? stress tested remote yet to see if everybody can work remotely in the event that you've got a quarantine situation? Have you looked at any of that kind of stuff, perhaps repurposing employees or refocusing their efforts so that you'll be able to continue to support them and they'll be able to continue to participate even if we move to, you know, a more severe level of containment? Yes. I mean, even on that day, we had a couple of people that, you know, their normal past lives have been coming into the office that are now uh, working at home. And we're trying to navigate that right now. And, and, and we're figuring that out. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're in implementing that, because you're dealing with a far larger team of people than, than even I am. And, um, you know, I mean, I think in the United States, there's 28 million. We're just talking the U.S. And I know people are going to hear this all over the world. But in the U.S., there's uh, 28 million businesses, 21 million of those are one-person operations. So you're talking a lot of very small businesses and then everything in between. And so, you know, I, I'd love to hear, you know, how you guys are doing that because I'm just trying to figure it out. I mean, it, the truth be told, you know, however beneficial conversations like this are to uh, the people that are listening to it, we're all doing this because we're trying to use our collective brains to help each other with direction, right. confidence, clarity, capabilities, which, you know, are, are words I got from Dan Sullivan. I'm, you know, we're, we're trying to offer that not only to everyone out there, but also to ourselves. I mean, talking to you guys is helping me think, you know, I want to respond. I always use the word, you know, respond to life, don't react to life. But, you know, since mm -hmm. I spent half my time now with people that struggle with addictions and I have, you know, genius recovery and different addiction platforms, in times like this, you're going to see all kinds of vices go up. Drinking will increase, people watching porn, online gambling, gaming, escapism, because when humans are stressed, they're in pain. And, you know, addiction uh, is, is a form of, of, of self-soothing uh, that creates negative consequences. So, you know, when you're in a reactive state, you can make bad, dangerous decisions. And in scary, dangerous times, if you don't have, you know, a sounding boards, if you don't have a community, you know, things can really get out of hand. And, 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 you know, we're also talking about people dying here. You know, this is not just like, oh, we can't go to work. I mean, there are literally people that are, that, it, worst case scenario, there could be many, many deaths. And, and also, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, be a fatalist here in my thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting the worst, but hoping for the best. That's just how I'm doing my best to navigate this. So yeah, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on, on any of that. You know, I think Roland, this idea of getting granular about the cash 
right now is the smart move. And to understand what's going to be the curve of this, what's the potential impact of this. Like, um, you know, I mentioned we've got five events that are off the board now till, till between now and July 4th. And so that's a lot of revenue to replace or to divert or to, you know, reinvent. But to then also look at how long the margin of this, right? Like if I go into September, I think we're back to the usual things. I don't think this is going to affect if I go to Australia in November or, you know what I mean, to really get a sense mm -hmm. of the scope of the crisis and to yeah. look at the worst case scenario if we didn't make another dime for this period, how much cash is it going to take us to get through this? Or what money are we making regardless already that's not going to be affected by this? And Correct. looking at that delta, that delta as the thing that we need to sort of, that's the opportunity, that's the immediate thing. And then what's the exciting part is to start and think about it as an opportunity to reinvent and create a new avenue of revenue like these virtual boardroom type of events, which opens up a much bigger audience. It opens up a, you know, a better way of potentially reaching even more people doing more events without the travel. So I'm excited about the thing I shared with Jay and uh, Joe when we did our podcast. And I'll say it again here that, you know, growing up, playing tennis, one of the things that really carried over into my adult world here is that this concept that every shot makes somebody happy, right? When mm -hmm. you're playing tennis, there's always, you know, somebody's uh, unhappy about what th that shot that just happened and somebody is happy with the outcome of that shot. And the best thing, the best position to be in is to be the umpire where you're observing the outcome and seeing whether it's out or whether it's in, but not being emotionally attached to that. And that way being able to make some rational decisions, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you, you know, you, you were very, very smart operationally to say, well, if I can't do events or if I might not be able to do events, how can I do an event without doing an event? Yeah. Well, I can do it virtually. And we're looking yeah. at that too. So I, we're planning, for example, during the the time that Trafficking Inversion Summit was supposed to happen, March 31st, April 1st, 2nd, we'll oh. be airing a best of the last couple of years. So we've got three or four events that we've put together. So we'll be able to get people value there. And then, you know, for our other events, because we do about 75 events a year ourselves and our group of companies, We've canceled everything from, and I say canceled, postponed everything from, you know, the other day to all the way through the end of May, and then mm -hmm. June we're just kind of kind of pending. But all of that will yeah. be, re yeah, and all of that will be replaced with virtual. And we also have a scenario that perhaps the internet, the infrastructure, will not be able to handle everybody at home. So if we go to quarantine, then there has been a prediction that there will be power outages and there will be internet service outages. And mm. in that event, how do you continue 
Do you have telephone numbers for your people? Can you do teleconferences? Do you have bridge lines because they may become unavailable because people will already have them? So, you know, what, Roland, what's going on with that? Talking, Can, we've been calling, the, we've been making this distinction between what we call Cloudlandia, the digital mm -hmm. world, and the, yep. out, you know, uh, that we're all living in primarily now, and the mainland, yep. which is the physical world here. Right. And I was just saying to Dan, Sullivan is how fortunate we are that this hiccup or this this roadblock or whatever's happening here is affecting the mainland and mm -hmm. not Cloudlandia because mm -hmm. we would be completely how do you say up Schitt's Creek if <laughs> the level of disruption that's happening on the mainland was happening in Cloudlandia right now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if we were shut off. Imagine if entire countries or the whole internet was shut down mm -hmm. and you can't communicate with everybody. That's kind of a black swan event worth really thinking about at some point because we're fortunate that it happened on the mainland. But next mm -hmm. time or at some point, it could happen in Cloudlandia and then what would we do? Right, which is why I think it's important to have a diversified mix. And you're you're yeah. strong indirect mail. I'm strong indirect mail. You know, there's still radio. There's still print. There will still be yeah. a need, even if people are stuck in their homes and they can't get online. There yeah. will be other forms of communication that will be available, and those will be things that at will least be good the three for of us are old enough to remember when mail right. was a thing. So exactly. Too too young to remember that. I mean, you guys are saying some very interesting things, and there are, and looking at all those contingency sort of things, what could happen. I want to, I want to mention a couple of thoughts that I have, and get your your guys's perspective on it. One is, you know, there's a lot of people that are asking, how do I handle when people are asking for their money back? And I said, well, you know, that depends. It's a very delicate situation, and I tend to have the belief, uh, you know, when you're trying to support local businesses, as an example, and you're like, you know, buy local, help small business owners, that sort of stuff versus, you know, big box retailers. And you've heard, you've seen things like that, right, as we live in this world of, you know, conglomerates, where right now, if someone, for one, can, I think it's, everyone is taking a financial hit in some degree. Not every single person, but most people are. And if they have provided services or will provide services, if there are, you know, so many of the people that I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've, I have events that I've paid for that haven't been delivered, and I'm not asking people to give me my money back because I know that they need that money in order to survive, and I know that they will, uh, you know, they will deliver on them uh, with all, you know, hopefully with the best of intentions. And one way to make sure they're able to deliver on it is give them an opportunity to do do that. Now, I'm in a position where I'm not starving, right? So I, I I'm able to do that, but I also have you know my whole team that I want to continue to employ, and so we need revenue, and we want to bring some in, and so part of it is you know on our conversation that we had with Jay Dean, you know, in the, in the meeting I had with my team, I said, look, to, to whatever degree we can just be valuable and service our members, let's do that. Let's create as many results for them. I want to ask you guys, you know, how do you think about that? Because there are some people that you have provided services for. They have the best of intention and they may like, you know, I, I need my money back. I want my money back, that sort of stuff. And it's like, 
you know, we're doing everything on our end mm-hmm. for things that we have to postpone to, I mean, even this, I mean, even recording this right now is just something we're doing and putting out to, to, to help, you know, help our clients and to help, you know, help people. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on how do you navigate those sort of situations? Because I'm getting a lot of those questions from members. And when I'm saying to people like, look, you know, if, if you are doing business with someone and they've treated you well, give them an opportunity. If everyone just starts, oh, it's all about me, I need it back, everyone's, you know, if you ask a restaurant to give you their money back, you ask anyone to give their money back, well, they're, they're in that same situation, you know, and, and so to whatever degree, how can we be collaborative uh, as much as humanly possible with as much empathy, which as much concern as we can for everyone that we're all trying to get through this? Uh, so I'd love to get your perspectives on that. You know, I, I think that what's important to realizes that the reason that people gave you money or the reason that people give you money is their belief that that money is going to turn into a greater result, that there's a greater value to what you're going to provide for them than the money itself has, right? And so keeping your focus on that and being able to make sure that if the physical delivery of an event or in, uh, if it's constricted in any way, that the delivery of the actual result is still possible. And that's what led me to the thinking about the virtual thing. Like what people want is to be in a room, in a small environment with one-on-one attention and discussion about their particular opportunities, right? That that's the way that they can get my attention on their situation. And that they value that my view on their situation is going to have a, a bigger outcome than the money that they pay to be there. Now that's that's me. But if you look at in anybody's situation, whatever somebody's giving you money for is usually one part of the equation that they're using in their business to make more money. And I'm saying in business to business because most of us are in a in a business to business kind of situation. But it would also be true in a business to consumer situation. If people are just holding back on something that they need because they're fearful and they're just hoarding money or, or and I don't want to use the word hoarding in a negative sense, that they're feeling like gathering their money to hold on to as a sense of security. A lot of times just education and conversation about the reassurance that the money is better to use by getting a piece of the equation that's going to help them grow their business or get more customers or get the result that they want, you know? And because just because people's ability to pay for something or their perceived ability to pay for something is temporarily put into a question mark or a, they're putting it on hold there, that doesn't mean that they don't need the outcome that you're able to provide, especially if it's advice, especially if it's, you know, if somebody comes to a breakthrough blueprint or they come to a live event or I'm able to help them with an email campaign that could help them send something in this particular situation to their clients that are going to unlock some 
windfall for them, that's a very good use of that investment. And likewise, sometimes our capability, our ability to deliver that outcome for someone, often if we can defer the income that we get to give them some time to get the result that they're going to get from it and then pass, that's a big opportunity as well. Before you respond, Roland, I would just say that if you're psychologically in a place like a where you can absorb and take things in, this is a, a real opportunity to write, to think about your business. You know, our friend Keith Cunningham's, you know, whole process of thinking time is really important here. And if there are people that are in a good financial situation or or in a situation where they can take the time and the money and the energy and devote it to learning, you know, skills that they have not, that they've wanted to, now is a great time. uh, Because especially, you know, you're going to do something anyway. And and Mm -hmm. the decisions that you make, what you read, how you keep yourself in an up state, you know, psychologically and, 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 and physically is so crucial. And if there are people that can go and buy trainings and they can invest in that and they can put the time in right now, you can really give yourself an incredible business advantage. And if people are running around just, you know, freaking out and scared, they're not going to, they're just not going to feed their brain. And so it's almost like I want to make a request for people that are out there, you know, struggling saying, okay, let, you know, you're going to have to triage, you're going to have to stay connected to, you know, I mean, I have a tool called my genius network and and it's a tool where you list you know who are the eight most important people in your life you put their name at the top of the circle and underneath it you put the skill that that person has and then these are people that are the most valuable and i you know put a message out to the genius network members saying this is a time to do a new genius network tool you know who in your life is the most important to you how do they you know personally and professionally and one of the ways to you know, help yourself as you identify who are these people, what is the skill and the capability that they have, how can you help them, and then how can they help you? Start with not how can they help you and then how can you help them, but it's really, you know, how can you be of, of, of most value to them? And if we just operate that way with each other, then naturally people help you because you're helping them, and that's what real collaboration is not an agenda fake you know networking bullshit relationship but like genuinely being valuable and it's almost like I want to put a call out there to a lot of people that are in the speaking business the 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 knowledge business the expert business the information marketing business the people that are teachers the people that are trainers the people that are coaches uh, if you can't physically go and meet with people but you're real you know, your real assets and your skills are what you train and what you teach, you know, to use Roland's thing of, you know, being the dancing bear, you know, the dancing bear can't go out now, the dancing bear might be at home, but there's a lot of knowledge in a lot of people's heads. And if people that are out there can buy this, buy it, support, not just support local business, but support business owners Mm -hmm. and the people that aren't in the financial position to do that, do as best as you can to work with everyone that's running a company because these people are, they they have employees and they're they're the backbone of the economy. And the Mm -hmm. worst thing that could come out of this is not just people, you know, dying, just the, the entire crippling of small businesses, which is really the engine that makes the world work. And so that's, you know, that's again, who I wanting to best hopefully be a hero to is the is those small business owners because they're the ones that are you know they're really the backbone of of everything from you know my my perspective 
I really want you, Roland, to touch on, uh, or not just touch on, but let's talk about more uh, related to ops and, and, and marketing, because uh, we definitely want to talk about that. I think it's 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 important. Other than what we talked about in the ops side, having your folks be ready to be remote, changing your focus to what is, like if you are losing things like Dean and, and we are losing our live events for a period of time, then what are the substitute things that you can deliver the same value that people have invested with you to receive and in, both in the past and going forward so that you can continue to support your business and, and your people and, and your customers. And then I think it, it gets down to on the marketing side, what are you focusing on? Who is your customer? So if you, you've got, you know, the very first thing I think you have to say is what am I selling? If I'm selling an essential then I'm going to be fine. If I'm selling an indulgence, I'm going to be fine if I'm selling to an affluent market that can afford that. I'm not going to be fine if I'm selling to indulgences to people who are panicky. And then am I selling deferrables like cars and, and assets that, that people like to get new ones, but you know they, it's not essential for them to have because those those are the businesses that are going to get probably hurt the most. So your behavior in both an operations and marketing side is going to be dependent on what you're selling. And then you're going to say, well, who am I selling to? So if you say I'm selling essentials, I'm selling indulgences, or I'm selling deferrables. Now you've got, you can put yourself in that category and you can say, okay, if I have a product mix of some combination of those things, then I'm going to go heavier into my essentials and indulgences and not really focus that much on my deferrables right now if my market is panickers, right? The people who, you know, and or maybe I should say reactors, that would probably be a less pejorative term mm. for them, right? People who are reacting are going to look at the things that they believe are deferrable and they're not going to do that right now or they're going to substitute with something else. So I think if I was selling a deferrable and I wasn't selling an indulgence or an essential, then I'd say, okay, what are the substitute things that I can focus people on that are going to defer on my core? And is that possible? Then I would say I've got people who are collected but not necessarily wealthy. Those are people, they're still going to buy essentials they're going to cut back a little bit on the indulgent things and they're probably going to delay also on the postponables and then if you get to the if you get to the people who are affluent or the carpe diem people which are two really significant avatars i mean if you're selling mm -hmm. to the top 5% they're not going to really change their behavior historically in all of the downturns from depression onto the the great recession uh, you know, the dot-com bust, the 70s, uh, the 2008 meltdown, all of that, the spending of the top 5% has remained relatively constant. So no matter what right. you're selling there, you know, you're still going to have those people buying. And what's cool about millennials is a lot of them are live-for-today people. So they're, they're carpe dieming it. And so they're going to buy the indulgences. They're going to buy the yeah. deferrables, and they're going to buy the essentials because they don't now. want – they don't want to yeah. change their behavior. So I think from an, from an operational standpoint, you would change your focus on your product mix that you're offering and advertising and go heavy into 
your markets that you know are going to continue to buy that are going to be less affected. Look at substitutes for the things that you think are going to be affected. And then you're going to look at historically throughout all of the different major recessions, what has worked the best is to double down on marketing. And the companies that have unseated the biggest incumbents have been historically in the 20s, it was Kellogg's displacing Post because uh, Kellogg's decided to come out. Post had the market. Kellogg's uh, in the recession, Post's cut their marketing. Kellogg's went heavy in, introduced uh, Rice Krispies, Snap, Snap Crackle Pop, right. basically dominated that. Post never recovered. In the 70s, Toyota came on strong and displaced Volkswagen, which was the dominant player in the market because in the 70s, there was an oil crisis and gas crisis, and Toyota happened to be one that got good mileage, but so did Volkswagen, and Toyota doubled down on their market and, and laid into the or leaned into the advantages that they had and let the public know it and was able to displace Volkswagen. And then Amazon did the same thing in uh, the 2000s. Amazon grew in 2009 and got tons of market share because they doubled down on their ad spend. And actually, I think that 2009 was the first time that, that e-books outsold physical books. And there's example after example after example. If you're investing and double down on marketing while other competitors are retrenching and are, are cutting back, their voice, their share of voice in the market is going down. People's confidence in their brand is going down. And if you take the advantage because advertising historically becomes less expensive in a, in a recessionary environment. And on average, in, in the Great Recession, the last one, ad advertising on average was reduced 13% across the board. So all of the inventory became more available, less expensive. The marketers mm -hmm. that leaned into that and spent more actually ended up taking off and having really good trajectories post recession while many of their competitors were never able to recover. So, you know, from a marketing standpoint, we're, we're all in. This is exactly what I wanted to have us put out to people. And of course, we need a pause to... button for our lives right now so we can just pause everything and, and take some thinking time because there's mm -hmm. so many, I mean, I can't wait to listen and re-listen to this because even the conversation that we've had has really been stimulating my thoughts about um, even the way we're we're thinking about things. Even here, when I'm hearing myself articulate what the thought process was, you know, makes me want to go deeper into it. And then hearing mm -hmm. Roland just talk about, I, you know, observing the market and overlaying that matrix on things, and the realization that not everybody's going to be affected financially by this. And mm -hmm. you know, I think. It's even deeper than the top 5%. It goes a lot deeper than that. That would be unaffected. I did a podcast with one of our Genius Network members, and we were talking about brainstorming for his, he runs an expedition trip agency. And, you know, of all the travel, like that's a business that talk about a deferrable and a, uh, you know, <laughs> something that you don't have to do. And then, of course, it's being shut off right now that you know, I talked about how Warren Buffett at one of his annual meetings, somebody asked him, you know, what's the best place to invest a thousand dollars? 
And his answer was in consumer durables. And some, and they said, well, what's that? And he said, well, I watch the newspapers. And when toilet paper goes on sale for 50% off, buy $1,000 worth of toilet paper. And you've just made 50% on your money. Is buy mm-hmm. the things that you're going to need later now at a discount and rather than buying them when you need them. And I think there's a great position to speak as an audience to the group of people that are in the five to 10, 25%, whatever it is, that they're not being negatively affected by this. And they could do something if they wanted to, to give them the uh, rationale that this makes total sense, that this is what you've been waiting for. Here's all the, the opportunity if you can buy now, even something that you're not going to do till later. You know, I outlined for Ashton a, uh, an opportunity to maybe be a market maker. He's got you know, a big list of people who buy expedition trips and buy multiple year after year after year. And all these tour operators are, you know, scrambling right now. They're getting cuts. They've got to do trips for, you know, lower occupancy. They're less profitable to be able to go to one of these tour operators and, you know, create an opportunity for people to buy now for a later trip could be a savior for some of these people from a cash flow standpoint, you know? When I was giving you those categories, the only one that's really not doing anything is the chicken little crowd, right? The sky is falling right. people who are, you know, yeah. who are, are, are panicked and afraid and being driven yeah. by fear, which is yeah. a small portion of the population. But the yeah. bulk of the population is either saying, I'm living for today. Look at the savings rates in America, right? Most people are living for today. And the people who are wealthy and the people who are, they're not in the, you know, in the top five or 10%, but they also really the only places that they're, they're still treating themselves because we all are like that. That's human nature. There, there, There is always a, I don't care. I've got to have that because I need, I deserve that for all yeah. the stuff that I'm doing and the essentials are essential. So nobody, even yeah. the panicky people can cut back on that. So really you're only looking at, at most at the deferrables, which are primarily large purchase durable goods. And as you said, now, if you're in the business of that and you can afford to discount, then it makes sense to do that now. And then using your logic of what Buffett said, you know, follow Buffett's advice. <laughs> Now's the yeah. best time you say, you know, save, uh, 20%, 30%, 50% yeah. on these things. Uh, it's, yeah. Everybody can win here. It's just mm-hmm. being calm and focused and intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me ask you about that. I, first off, I like what you just said, Roland. And I also want to just bring it up because, you know, the, the I know the uh, darkness of the human mind, having been in recovery for many years and someone's like, there's no way I'm going to win. You don't realize that I'm completely screwed and they're in their brain is, you know, the fear or their, you know, what their perceived or real life situation is that feels. They can them, listen to the podcast you did with me talking about my situation because it gets no darker than that. <laughs> yeah, which is, <laughs> which comes, is true. You come out on the other side. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, that's I look, I nearly died as a drug addict when I was, you know, younger and I mean, boy, yeah, I mean, I weighed 105 pounds when I was 18 years old at my worst state from, you know, freebasing cocaine for 3 months straight and so I've been in right. pretty dark places which I think, you know, I think is is not I think I know it's actually helped me when, you know, shit hits the fan. As a matter of fact, I I tend to become more capable when there seems to be something sort of dangerous and some sort of crisis. Now, that doesn't mean that I want that to happen. It's just I think you can tap into a level of resourcefulness. And so I think all humans are way more powerful and way more capable at times than they give themselves credit for. And I think when you can keep yourself focused on helping others uh, versus just your own situation, you know, as counterintuitive as that seems, there's always someone out there that's in a worse place and they're, they're either physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritual place and they're in a dark place and when you can show up and, and, and be that guide, it's more important. I mean, it, it, is, it is about connection. It's remembering, you know, Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face mm-hmm. and that's true and now we're all getting punched in the face and we had a plan or we thought we had a plan or we had some idea of a plan and now the economy and the world has said, you know, uh-uh, it's punched us in the face. But here's the interesting thing for anybody who is listening who has been punched in the face. I used to do kickboxing, and I can tell you the first time that you get punched in the face, not pleasant, but it doesn't, you know, I, I guess in very rare circumstances, it could be the end. But when you're done being punched in the face, you're like, huh, okay. Okay. All and right. then you go on. Right. Yeah. And and there's a uh, a guy that you guys probably know. Do you, do you know Garrett White? Yeah. 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 Of course. So so Garrett runs you know this um, a program for for being a better man. And mm-hmm. part of his program is he gets people in the boxing ring and he says that it's important that you get punched in the face. And that's why I'm doing that because once you've been punched in the face, you'll you'll know that you can you can take that and go on. And I when the first time I read read it, you know, in the marketing that he had, I was like. That's really smart, and also I think it's stupid. And then I said, it's not stupid because it's mm. true. And I thought about, for me, you know, having gone through in the kickboxing world, it's like I've been punched in the face a whole bunch of times, and so I'm not afraid of it. And so this is a really great opportunity for us to all push past fear, and it's a gift because once you get through this, and you will, once you get through this, it is going to give you so much strength and fortitude the next time that a bad situation comes around, which economically, we know that the economy is cyclical. So it's bound to come around. But everyone else was punched in the face in the 20s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, in the 2009, right? There's, there's a lot of people who have survived this and worse before. And it's just remaining calm and being intentional and methodical that'll do it. And I hope that all the stuff that that we talk about and that you guys have shared, which is super smart, will will really sink in and let people know that that it's just it's just not what your plan was. But it doesn't mean that you don't go forward. And it and if you can create an alternative plan and you can do some of the things that we've been talking about and sharing, then it's all going to be fine. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's very good, very good. So to wrap up, what I guess I would say, you know, any anything that you guys want to share that you haven't or anything else, I would just say to all of our listeners that, you know, we are having these conversations because we want to obviously be as valuable and as helpful to uh, everyone that is listening. Uh, we are also 
you know, students here just as much as we're putting ourselves out as being advisors and guiding and directing people. And we will continue uh, to do this uh, because we want, um, you know, we, we, we want to support uh, our clients. We want to support entrepreneurs and we want people to, you know, really tap into the resourcefulness and be as resourceful and as helpful uh, and as, you know, generous as you can possibly be right now because the world needs it. And, you know, hope heals. And the more hope that you can put out to the world and, and wherever you get hope from, uh, if this has been very valuable for you, listen to it again. I mean, I, I'm a, I've been really recommending a lot of people to do Keith uh, Cunningham's process of thinking time. If you don't know what that is, you can type mm-hmm. in my you know, Keith Cunningham wrote a book called The Road Less Stupid, which describes it. It's a great book. Uh, he's also a good friend of mine. I've got a, a fantastic interview with him online that describes it, but just sitting down and really thinking. And Roland, I think you just shared some really incredible stuff. And then Dean, you know, we had, uh, you know, we did that interview with Jay Abraham. If you've not listened to that one, please do. Uh, and, and we're going to just keep doing this stuff for our Genius Network members, for our podcast listeners. And um, yeah, so any, anything else you guys want to share before we wrap up? I think you said it very well. Yeah, I think that was really good. Okay, awesome. All right, everyone. Well, take good care of yourself, your families, your loved ones. Take especially good care of yourself. Uh, you know, whenever you're in a crazy, fearful state, you know, the analogy I used with these guys before uh, we hopped on um, this recording was if you're walking down a, a dark alley or you're out in the middle of the woods by yourself and you're hearing all kinds of sounds and grizzly bears and you know crazy things and you're feeling you know frightened even if you have a smaller weaker person walking next to you or a very strong capable person or an animal or anything you you just feel better when you're not alone so i know a lot of people are isolated right now or at least feel that way uh in in you know when i was a dead broke carpet cleaner living off credit cards when I was a recovering addict I actually found a lot of connection through books and through listening to audios back in the day when the internet didn't even exist I would listen to cassette tapes I mean I would listen to things that that helped put me into an upstate and so I hope in whatever way that this serves that for all of you and if uh, a lot of the people that will be listening are clients of ours and I just want to say on behalf of all of us we really appreciate your business and we hope you're able to continue to support the other business owners and other clients and customers in your life because more than anything that's the leadership that entrepreneurs need to bring to the table and help people when they're hurting so that's it for now so thanks thanks guys i appreciate it and we'll talk to everyone uh very soon because we're going to keep doing this if you'd like to learn more about the genius network annual event or to apply go to geniusnetwork.com don't miss another episode of i love marketing subscribe today at ilovemarketing.com forward slash subscribe If you'd like to access the show notes or the exercise to help you take action on what was discussed, please visit ilovemarketing.com forward slash 364.